0: Christy and I sat there in absolute shock with tears streaming down our cheeks. About three years ago, we were at the BJCC for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, and we had a luncheon there with several thousand people for the North American Mission Board, and it's there that we watched the president, Kevin Zell, up on stage invite a pastor and his wife from right here in Alabama up onto the stage. Now, this pastor, uh, pastor's a, a small congregation, a poor congregation that can't financially support him. He's bivocational. And not knowing what he was doing up on stage with his wife, Kevin began to ask him questions about his life, his family, his church, and his community. And then Kevin asked him this question. What is the date of your last mortgage payment? And the man thought for a moment and told him. And then Kevin responded, that's right. That is the last date of your mortgage payment. An anonymous donor has paid off your house. And the place erupted in celebration. Tears were streaming down everyone's cheeks as we were rejoicing over this moment. You see, this is a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ does. We live sacrificially to be a blessing, to point others to the gospel, to model what it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ motivates sacrificial living among God's people. This was just a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. Men and women who are so captivated by the love of Jesus that it overflows into radical love to those around us. It's happening right now in North Africa and Southeast Asia and all over the world in very risky places where followers of Jesus are putting their lives on the line to serve and to love brothers and sisters in Christ modeling the gospel that they have received in jesus overflowing this love to go and take the gospel and to show the love of god of christ to those around them right now we as a church have sent out missionaries all over the world who are going to take this great love they are showing sacrificial love because they want people to come to know christ they want the nations to come to know Jesus and the love that they have experienced in Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is our motivation for loving our community. That he who loved us first calls us to love one another. That he who served us through his death calls us to serve one another. That he who has shown hospitality to us by inviting us into a relationship with himself calls upon us to show hospitality. And when we get to Acts chapter two, we see how the gospel has taken a white knuckled grip on the hearts of the early church and they are eager to live sacrificially. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're studying the book of Acts together as a faith family, walking through this great narrative of Scripture, walking through how things began. We're calling the sermon series Sent because we see that God loves us so much that He sent His Son for us. We see that Jesus promised before his ascension into heaven that he would send the Holy Spirit to come and be with us. He then sent his apostles out, that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that indeed God has called us as followers of Jesus. He has sent us out to the nations and our neighbors with the gospel. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that God is a sending God. And he is sending his people to be a light to the nations, to show the world the beauty and the power of the gospel. We've been setting up camp here in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47 for five weeks, looking at these five marks of a gospel-shaped community. Okay, these five marks. We see biblical teaching, reverent worshiping, sacrificial living, Generous giving and gospel sharing. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the the, the people in Acts chapter 2 in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were people who craved the word of God. And so too must we be a people of the book, that we meditate on the word. We obey the word. We study the word. We memorize the word. We teach the word. Indeed, the word of God breathes. That book in your lap is living and active, sharper than a two edged sword. And the word is what governs and guides us as followers of Christ. We saw last week that the people were compelled towards reverent worshiping. We looked at this second mark where this holy fear fell upon the people in Acts 2, where they knew that God was in their midst. They even saw, verse 43, the apostles performing these signs and wonders that these apostles are displaying these incredible miracles. And we're going to see more of those as we get further along into the chapters ahead of us in the book of Acts. And these miracles we're attesting to, they're pointing forward to the reality of the kingdom. These signs confirmed and validated that the gospel message that the apostles preached were true. God was authenticating the message through these miracles. A question that is sometimes asked is, why do these miracles not take place anymore? Why do we not see these miraculous signs and wonders anymore? Well, I'm going to give you four quick reasons. Number one, it was for the apostles. The apostles and some of their partners, they were the ones who were entrusted by Christ with these miracles to perform these miracles to validate the message of the gospel. These gifts were not given to the entire church, but to these apostles and some of their proteges. And those apostles have since died. The second reason is these miracles, they were temporary. Those whom they healed from sickness would eventually get sick again. Those whom they would raise from the dead would die again. These were temporary acts, again, that were signs that were pointing to a, a greater purpose, to the greater message, which is number three, it confirmed the gospel. The miracles were validating that the gospel was true. And indeed, number four, it's because God's perfect revelation is now complete. It's sitting in your lap. We don't need signs and wonders and miracles for us to understand God's perfect revelation of himself because it's sitting in your lap. You hold possession with the word of God. That God has revealed himself with clarity and accuracy and with authority. You see, the miracles and signs, they're no longer necessary because we have God's word that is sufficient for all that you need to know the Lord. But for the early church, the New Testament had not been written yet at this point. So they sat at the apostles' feet and they listened to the word being brought to bear upon the souls of one another. These 3,000 who believe the gospel, they formed the early church. And Peter has preached this great message. They've believed the gospel. They've trusted in Christ. They've been baptized. And they formed this early church. And let's look again in Acts chapter 2, beginning with 4, verse 42, what this early church looked like. and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is both descriptive and prescriptive. It's descriptive and just describing what it was like in the early church but it's also prescriptive in the sense that we are seeing some principles that we today are to model and to live out as followers of Christ within the context of our local church. One of the marks of a gospel-shaped community that we see here in the text is sacrificial living. You see, early in, in the early church, brothers and sisters went out of their way to love and care for one another. You see, the gospel transformed how they related with one another. Notice in the text this morning how the believers sacrificed for one another and what this means for us. I want you to see first in the text, sacrificial living means making the church a priority. It means making the church a priority. Look at verse 44. It says, all the believers were together. There was a time and a place in which they would regularly gather together. It was a priority. They were living in community with one another, and guess what? They loved being together. It was these meaningful relationships were forged in the early church. God's people, they loved being together. And as we're going to see in the chapters ahead, as persecution is about to break out upon the church, God is giving them this sweet time of unity and joy to prepare them for what is to come. You see, you and I can read the text backwards and we can say, we know what's coming for these believers We know what's going to happen in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen stands up, preaches the gospel, and he's going to pay the ultimate price for preaching. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 8 where these believers in Acts 2 have to spread out. They have to run for their lives. They run for the hills to try and preserve and protect their lives as persecution breaks out against the church. But here... We see where the church is showing us what it looks like to love being together. It was a priority. Hear me on this. If you want to persevere in the gospel, if you want to finish well, if you want to be sprinting across the finishing tape and run right into the arms of King Jesus, you're going to need the church. You're going to need brothers and sisters who are cheering you on, who are encouraging you all the more as we see the day approaching. You need to surround yourself with faithful, passionate followers of Jesus who will encourage you and pray for you, who will call you out when you need to hear it. This is why God has given you the church. It's one of his good gifts to you to help you endure and persevere to the end. This week, I was uh, at a prayer gathering on Thursday. Thursday was National Day of Prayer. So I went to City Hall and got to pray with city leaders and pastors from the area And after we had prayer time, I just spent some time hanging around, talking with other pastors. And there's a another pastor in our community, a a seasoned veteran, is a nice way to put it. And he's got older kids who are now old and grown, and they've gone. They're living all over the country, and they love Jesus, and they're serving in the church. And so I asked him. I said, "Hey, man, I'm, I'm a dad with five kids. How can I raise my kids to love Jesus wherever they go, and still love the church?" And he began to you know, coach me up a little bit. He says, man, you model it. Be a godly man and, and pray regularly and have meals at the dining room table where you laugh and tell stories and just enjoy them, enjoy that time. But then he said this. He said, but hear me on this. Make sure you make church a priority. He says, I'm so broken hearted as a pastor to see parents who are letting their kids just skip church. And he says, and then they grow up and they're surprised that their kids are no longer interested in gathering with God's people. You see, parents, you have to set the pace of making the church a priority, that it matters. One of the concerns I have as your pastor is one of the patterns that we're starting to see, not just here, but all over across the United States, is that the average Christian attends church what twice every six weeks. Okay? And it's starting to get longer and longer in between these times of gathering. That's not healthy for your soul. God has instructed and Laid out a pattern even through the weeks, uh, days of the week in which we gather as God's people, because gathering with His people matters. And as parents, it matters that you make ch- gathering with God's people, you make the church a priority. And this is this is not, not, not for the sake of not no, no This is for the sake of your soul, for the sake of your children growing in the gospel. I, I know it's Mother's Day, but I want to speak into dads, dad. It's on you to lead. It means Saturday night, you're getting the diaper bag ready. You're getting the clothes laid out. It means on Sunday morning, when tantrums break out, you're the one who's stepping in and taking the hit, right? You're the one saying, hey, I love you. No, wait, stop it. Nope, we're going. You don't have a vote in this matter. Gathering with God's people. That's why when, I, when you gather, I just, my heart celebrates. For single moms, I'm just so stinking proud of you. It's hard to get your kids to church. It is spiritual warfare for you to get through that door. I know it. It is so hard for you to be here, and I am so proud of you. It is such hard work. Dads, step in and lead out and say, guys, we're going to get to gather. It's not a have to. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. When I was a kid, my parents, that would say, they'd give me a chore list. Can I take the trash out? Do I have to? You don't have to. You get to. (sighs) Now, I'm a dad. I get to use the same phrase. And I say to you, faith family, when your kids say, do we have to go to church? No, we don't have to, we get to. It's a privilege. One of God's good gifts to us as followers of Jesus within this culture is that we're not currently facing persecution for gathering. What a gift. Leverage that. One of my concerns, however, if I can speak back into dads and you're sitting here, this is a Father's Day message all of a sudden. My concern is that we're teaching our boys and even our daughters, how to hit a curveball, but not how to follow Jesus. I came across a statistic this week that says there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance your child's going to stand before King Jesus. Prepare your child for what matters most prioritize for what really matters and parenting is a whole lot more complicated than this but i want to if i could simplify it in many ways as a parent you're preparing your kids for two days their wedding day and judgment day one's far more important than the other you want to prepare them to know jesus and be prepared to see him face to face so that they are colossians one mature in Christ. You labor, you pray, you, you give everything you can to help prepare them for that day, but also you're praying that they'll one day grow up to be a godly husband and wife, if the Lord wills. God may call some, of, some children to singleness, praise the Lord. But as parents, this is what we labor for. How do you prepare your child for that day in which they see King Jesus face to face? Parents, are we laboring so that they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Are we preparing them for that day when all things, Hebrews 4, are laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account? May we be a people who echo the words of Joshua and Joshua 24 as they're in the land and he says, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May that be a conviction deep within your hearts as parents and as grandparents. Man, we're going to serve the Lord. He's going to have first priority, and we are going to gather with God's people. The early church, they were, verse 44, they were together. They made it a priority. I want to encourage you, make gathering a priority. Let it be a spiritual discipline. Unfortunately, I think the pandemic has gotten many out of the habit of gathering, Hebrews 10. But let's get back into the habit of making a regular pattern. Hey, it's Sunday morning and my kids know where we're going. And it's not just what we're going to church, we're going to go be with the church. Because it's not a building, it's the people. And it matters. Your soul's perseverance matters through God's people. So, sacrificial living is not only making it a priority but number two it's holding our possessions loosely look at verse 44 the text says they held all things in common the early church was a gathering of believers who shared their possessions they they were meeting one another's needs um, by 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 caring for one another they would say okay this is not my stuff this is our stuff and so i'm going to serve i'm going to give and so man what do you need what do you need i'm going to help meet that need I'm not going to be so selfish and protective of my stuff. This idea of look out for number one is foreign to the New Testament. And as followers of Jesus, that we echo the words of Paul in Acts 20, 24, in which he says, I do not consider my life of any value to me, but only that I might finish the race of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see, as a follower of Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you died. Your old self dies, why like Paul says in Galatians 2:20, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me." You see, as a follower of Jesus, your stuff is no longer your stuff instead we hold it loosely open-handedly what we're saying is it's not my stuff it's for the sake of the kingdom it's being a blessing to others this is what Jesus has done for us is that this is again not a have to it's a get to because Jesus has open-handedly opened up all of his kingdom to me and he invites me to have access to his stuff And so now, in the same way, we get to open up our hands and say, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. Help me leverage it for however you see fit. And as we're going to see in the chapters ahead, many of them, they're going to lose their possessions. They're going to lose their property. They're going to lose their jobs. Many of them may even lose their lives as the persecution comes. So here, they're practicing as followers of Jesus, as these baby Christians gathered in this early church, they're saying, hey, this is not my stuff. I'm gonna be open-handed. Brothers and sisters, may I say this to you? Hold your possessions loosely before they take hold of you. That's the question I've got for you. Are you holding your stuff or is your stuff holding you? You see, if if you say this is all mine and you've got a white-knuckled grip on it, I don't think you quite understand the gospel and what Christ has done for you. Is that he gave up it all and opened up his hands all the way to a blood-stained cross. And through his submission all the way to the point of death on a cross, he now grants access to you and I in which we now can come boldly into him. You see, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ, is that we hold our possessions loosely. They don't belong to us. It's so temporary. Last night, there was a teenager in in my neighborhood who came by to talk with me for a few minutes. And he's he's a kid who who drives a really nice car and all this stuff. And he was kind of frustrated, kind of expressing to me some challenges he's facing um, at home. But one of the challenges that he, he shared with me, he says, man, for my dad, money's everything. And he said, we have all this stuff and you can't take it with you. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. And he says, we, we work so hard to get all this stuff, when in the end, what does it matter? You see, there was this longing in his heart for his dad's affection and attention. And there's this deep desire within the hearts of your kids, y'all. They don't want your stuff. They want you. They want your time and your attention. Put your phone down and engage. This is, this is what we see here in the early church in which they're saying, this is not my stuff. I'm going to open it up to the church as a blessing to others. Well, what's the motivation for this? It's love. Well, look, let me show you. Uh, keep your finger here in Acts 2 and go backwards just a few chapters to John uh, 15. John 15. Just real quick, run back to John 15. I want us to look at this text together where Jesus is hours away from his death. He's speaking into the life of his disciples and he's wanting to kind of coach them up, prepare them for what is to come. And in John 15, there's just this rich passage where he talks about he is divine and, and they are uh, the, those who stay connected to him. But then in verse nine of John 15, Jesus says this, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that, you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. You see, loving one another is a mark that you belong to Jesus. Okay, evidence that you're in Christ is that you love gathering with God's people and you're very generous with your resources, you're very open-handed. We see this earlier on where Jesus says in John 13, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, conditional clause, you love one another. 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. 1 John 4, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. In Second John 1, 5. So now I ask you, dear lady, that's John's phrase for the church, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love God one another you see love is not only what we say it's what we do we prove it with our actions and we see the early church in which they are generous with their resources they're sharing with anyone who has a need hey we got a need over here i got it i'll take care of it hey we got an issue over here okay you got it over here there's just constant interaction and interdependence they love each other. They trust each other. They're generous towards one another. Oh, that, that might take place here. That we are a people who are generous with our resources. We say, that's not my stuff. This is God's stuff. And I want to use it to bless others. I want to find ways to meet those, the needs of those around me. Why? It's because of the gospel. It's because of what God has done for us in Christ. That we glory in the Savior who got low so that we could reign on high. That he who was rich became poor so that we who were poor might become rich. That the king has left his palace to become a peasant so that those who are peasants might become kings. That he who was strong became weak so that we who are weak might become strong. That he left glory and came to be with the lowly so that the lowly might enter glory. That the master became a servant so that the servants can join the master. That the one who formed Adam is the one who washed feet. This is the savior we love and treasure, treasure, treasure and obey. And this is the one whom we, out of the overflow of what he's done for us, we go and love one another. This is what we do, brothers and sisters. This is what marks us, is love. A love that the world can't fathom, they can't understand, they can't grasp it. Like, how do you get so many diverse people to love one another? It's because we were first loved by Jesus. And long before the foundations of the earth had ever been laid, he loved us. Lavishly and beautifully. And today, you may be sitting here thinking, but Kenneth, I don't feel very lovely. Well, hear me, don't trust your feelings. You are loved by God. He's gone on record. Look at a blood-stained cross. That is where you find your identity, and that is where you find God's love for you. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at a blood-stained cross where He bled and died for your sin. And he gave His life on Calvary so that in Him and through Him, you can be washed You can be forgiven. You can be made brand new. You're a new creation by trusting in what he has done for you in the gospel, that he gave his life for you, and he was buried. And the best news of all, he didn't stay dead. For on the third day, Jesus came back to life. He defeated death. So everybody who trusts and believes in him, we are now hidden in him. We believe the gospel. And that gospel then motivates us to live a life of generosity and forgiveness and grace and love. For that's what's happening here in the early church they're reveling in the gospel they treasure the gospel they're wondrous over what god has done for them in jesus and so may that be true of us as a faith family that we're ever growing more and more in love with jesus but kenneth what about that person in our church who's really really annoying yeah you got to love them too because guess what you're annoying too there i said it can i be honest i'm the most annoying person in my family okay it's just reality i can be but we're family y'all and we have to love the unlovable why because god first loved us when we were unlovable that when we were selfish and prideful and arrogant and shook our fists in his face with our actions and our words he still loved us and so we do the same with one another and sometimes loving brothers and sisters whew, it's hard work y'all this is why over and over and over in the scriptures, God says it He on repeat. Why? Because we forget. We have spiritual amnesia. We have to be reminded, love one another. And we're going to unintentionally hurt each other. There's many times, like two dance partners on a dance floor, where you accidentally step on someone's toes. Ooh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't realize that. And we confess, we repent, we forgive, we reconcile, and we keep dancing. This is what we do as a church. That we're a diverse people who see things differently, who have different backgrounds and perspective and perspectives and expectations. But at the same time, we're generous and loving. And here's the thing: we show benefit of the doubt. Okay, we don't just have this expectation that immediately that's a bad person for whatever reason because they act a certain way. It's, no, 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 hey, let let me find out what's going on here. We're generous and kind. Why? Again, because of the gospel. God has been generous and kind to us. And so when it comes to our possessions, that love of Jesus overflows and we become open-handed. And you know what happens? It totally changes our witness, You see, love for one another is a witness to a watching world that the gospel is true and the gospel transforms. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Christy and I first got home from China with our daughter, Uh, we were overwhelmed with love from our church. I won't ever forget the first Sunday I came back and everyone wore a pink shirt. And I felt like the general in White Christmas looking across that big room of people with tears coming down my eyes. I was like, look at this. We then had a meal train coming to our house and people coming by to cut grass and do all kinds of things. And we have family from Kentucky who comes down to hang out with us and one of them made the comment to us, wow, your church really does love each other. The Baptists really do know how to love. And I thought, my goodness, look at what Jesus does. He changes selfish people into selfless people. He takes prideful people and he makes us humble people that he takes us from being people who are greedy to generous. How does that happen? The gospel, that we're overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, that it then changes us. We become different. He changes the way we think. He changes the way that we speak. He changes the way that we feel. He changes the way that we live. And what a way to display the gospel to a watching world is by being a church that is open-handed, open handed generous and giving with what he has entrusted to us third and finally sacrificial living looks like celebrating with christ's community look at over verse 46 it says they broke bread from house to house they ate their food amen with joyful and sincere hearts I, I love this. They were regularly eating meals, casserole dishes going over, in Jerusalem crisscrossing, man, people eating together. Okay, this, this, that word for joy, the word means extreme joy. Okay, and that word sincere, it means, uh, it means a deep goodness. So as the people are eating together and they're laughing together and celebrating together, there's this extreme joy in their hearts. This sincere, deep goodness within them, like, oh, this is right. And what a foretaste of what's coming, y'all, in the new kingdom, where congregations never break up, where Sabbaths never end. The church gathers and we're going to feast together. We're going to eat and laugh and tell stories and meet people whom we've never met before. And we're going to celebrate all that Christ has done for us in the gospel. That's what's happening in Acts 2. And when you and I do this here and now, again, it's an appetizer of what is to come, that when we go on to cross that celestial shore and we get to celebrate with all of the redeemed throughout the ages, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, we're gonna celebrate. And we get to do that here. This is why it delights my heart when we hear laughter beckoning and bellowing throughout the hallways that when we begin having the smell of casserole dishes all in the small groups building and across our campus, I'm like, yes, this is it. Eating together, laughing together, telling stories, encouraging each other all the more as we see the day approaching. That we're a people that don't take ourselves very seriously. We take the gospel seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. That we're not those who are angry or have a sour look on our face, people who are constantly pious and arrogant. What? No. We laugh and we show grace. We forgive each other. We show love. We do these random acts of kindness just to show the love of Christ. That's the celebration that's happening. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? What are you wanting us to do with this? Well, it's your impact point, point. it's this. is to prioritize giving your life to investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. What I'm asking you to do today is to reprioritize your life. I'm asking you to change your calendar. I'm asking you to change the priority of your checkbook. I'm asking you to change the priority of your heart. And say, all because of what Jesus has done I want to give my life to the people whom he bled and died for. A couple weeks ago, our staff had a retreat. We got away for two days just to pray and to dream and to talk and think about the future. And one of the activities, exercises we did one morning to start our day was I asked this two simple questions. The first question was, can you name three people who've impacted your life for Jesus? And why. And we went around the room, and it took us over an hour. And with tears streaming down almost everyone's cheeks, talking about the impact that someone had on their life so that they could be a follower of Jesus. It was a powerful moment in our staff. As we shared about parents, grandparents, teammates, Co-workers, friends, who did so much to help us become who we are today as leaders. It was a precious moment. I was writing down as each person spoke the characteristics of the three people that invested in each one of our staff members. And I, I made a running list. Let me read for you what I wrote down. I wrote down... They sacrificed for me they taught me how to suffer they taught me how to pray they were patient with me they confronted me they walked with me they served me they showered me with grace they gave me opportunity to lead they set an example they held me accountable They taught me the Bible. They took a shot on me. They encouraged me. They taught me how to love people. What about you? If I were to ask you to name three people who've impacted your life for Jesus, can you think of them? And what have they done to help you become who you are now in Christ? Now? Go be the same for others. And the venue that God has given you is right here, the church. I want to invite you to reprioritize your life, to invest in the people whom God has placed in your life for such a time as this so that they can go and impact their world for Jesus.